From the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. This is the Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and I'm here today with Sam Rogers. Sam is a senior instructional designer, a video learning producer, an LMS implementation specialist. He's a bit of a renaissance man. A lot of his work is to make complexity simple and boring things fun. And we'll draw that out as we discuss things more with him. He's an expert on many of the emerging assets of things like podcasting and the role of video and how all these things can fit into our world in instructional design and in the learning world. A lot of assets that we might be overlooking that are now under our noses. Sam, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here, Anthony. So happy to have you. But let's start right there. What advice would you give to the typical instructional designer, people in our world, where we kind of have tunnel vision a little bit with the usual suspects, whether it's the modules or distance learning or classroom or whatever it might take, the usual forms, when there are many other emerging assets that present an opportunity and a value proposition, each one of them. I wonder if you can speak to those opportunities for us today. Sure. Well, the the main thing that I do, just as if I were to develop a standard asset, like a SCORM 1.2 compliant course, which is, of course, the answer to everything. We can just stop yes, there. Right? Right. <laughs> um, I always design the test first before I design any of the content. And not to say that that's like the final version of the test, you know, bouncing things off of SMEs and working with that, it continues to iterate. But that allows the scope to kind of be defined and the measurable part of the content to emerge. So that works great for courses. It also works great for pretty much anything else. What is it that is going to be measurably different in the world as a result of our actions, of what we design, of what we do, of what we stop doing, what is going to change. Once we can get focused on what that actual needle is that we're trying to move in the organization, it's, in my experience, very little work at all to start looking at things that move that needle. Now, sometimes that is absolutely a course. Sometimes you want to go in and facilitate a live session. Sometimes clicking through a SCORM 1.2 compliant package is really all you need. But a lot of times it's not. A lot of times what we're looking for is something that is a true behavior change or something that's simply reducing risk to the organization. Being able to shift from one format to another, from one idea to another as a deliverable sounds a little more complex than I think it really needs to be. What is it that we're trying to do? And then looking at, well, what does that? Let's do that. And let's maybe, maybe not do things the way that we have, but do things that produce the result that we're looking for. So you're starting with the, the end in mind, the performance outcome, yes. how you would measure that, and you're avoiding the error of jumping to a solution. Sometimes there's that preconceived notion that right. a lot of organizations have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yes, they're, exactly. It's, it's a force of habit, really, that takes over organizationally, and you're doing the same thing, and uh, but maybe the value isn't there. So what does that analysis process look like? Well, I want to say, too, like there's nothing wrong with taking the shortcut. You just want to make sure it's actually 
a shortcut, like that kind of shorthand of everything looks like a nail when you have a hammer kind of a thing. Everything looks like a course when you have something that makes courses and you know how to do it really well. But that's not saying that a course actually solves the problem. I've written about this a little bit in my blog and other places about how like a lot of the requests that come to a training department, a lot of the requests that come in as learning requests, they're requests, but they don't necessarily have much to do with learning, actually. And how is it that we're triaging that as this is something that, okay, the course would be good for, this is something which, <laughs> yeah, well, the lawyers need us to give this to everybody, but really they're just looking for legal defensibility for the organization. They're not looking for engaging content. They don't care about engaging content. Of course, the learners want engaging content, but if you have to take customer information security one more time, and yes, you do every year, making content like that more engaging can actually be a waste of resources. When seeing a PDF and checking that I've read it, you know, just like we do when we're accepting a software terms and license agreements for everything else, like that's good enough in those circumstances. Might it be good enough just within our own organization? It's a question to ask, and the answer is going to be different in every organization. But we know that that provides, in that perspective, the legal defensibility that we're looking for. Might that be good enough? So it's really a, a reductive process to some degree. You're able to eliminate some things that you don't need or find a more elegant solution. That's the first step. Yeah, is always to stop doing the things that aren't working and start looking for things that are. If I'm so engaged in continuing to do the thing that I've always done, it's really easy to get in that momentum, you yes. know, to get in that rut and to just keep making more of the thing that I've been making. I also have a background in the music industry and a lot of the corporate learning stuff that I've done I was kind of doing on the side while I was traveling around being a musician and never letting those two worlds collide until quite recently. But but as a musician, okay, well, I used to make CDs. I used to make albums, and that's what I love to do and, and to go and perform and, and to travel to festivals and make CDs. In 2017, no one buys shiny plastic discs anymore. It doesn't do me any good to keep making them, you know? That's right. I can get much more mileage out of releasing something purely digitally, which takes less effort from me, something that's released as a single, something that I can use that's going to work better in Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is that people are using now that did not exist 10 years ago. It just wasn't there. It's the same for learning. I don't want to design for things that made sense 10 years ago or 15 years ago, back when e-learning, the E was something new, you know, um, using the ways of reaching people that they already use, that they're using to learn stuff now in 2017. That's what I want to go towards. When I have a problem and I want to fix my sink, I'm not going to an LMS to learn how to do that, fix the leaky faucet, right? I go to YouTube or, you know, I'm looking up on WikiHow or something like that. So coming up with delivery methodologies that are in line with what our users are already using, that create that kind of experience, perhaps even leverage some of the same platforms. Those are the things that I'm the most interested in because there's the least amount of friction for the learner. That's right. It's really a, it's another way of saying that the world is changing all around you. 
And if you're an industry that's not, whether willfully or just through force of habit, not changing with it, yeah, right. You can wake yeah. up one day and suddenly, you know, you're wondering why things aren't effective anymore, and then it becomes a crisis. Yeah, no one's buying my CD anymore. <laughs> what do right. I do? Doesn't mean that the music changed. That's right. This is something Seth Godin has talked about. Quite yeah, a bit. big fan of Seth's work, and Tim Ferriss is another one that we were talking about just before the podcast. Um, that's where the eliminate before you add, or as he would say, eliminate before you delegate anything. Yes. That's the four hour work week guy. You know, it really is the first step in any change that you're trying to implement. Stop doing the thing that's not working. As far as like assets, the kinds of deliveries that one would use. So I have a podcast that's mine. I contribute to other podcasts. Uh, all last year I was doing a, a live streaming daily show that I was co-producing and co-hosting called Ellen D Talk. And there's a new one that's started up now, you know, trying to find ways of bringing the conversation to new medium and putting things where people already are, as opposed to telling them you need to go and do this over here in our antiquated system. Also, I, I had the privilege of working for YouTube and helping build their YouTube certified online program for YouTube, leveraging YouTube as an instructional technology which, when you think about it, is like the world's biggest LMS. It's yes. where people go to do stuff, to learn things. There's a lot of desire for learning that's out there. And trying to manufacture that desire and to get people excited about something that is inherently not that exciting seems to me just less effective. There are pain points that our learners experience. Being able to speak to those needs directly means we don't have to speak as loud. We don't have to work as hard to get that traction. And we can leverage their curiosity to lead the discussion about what comes next. Because in our instructional minds, you know, good little instructional designers, we're going to use, apply the formula, whether that's Addy or Sam or whatever. Like, we have methodologies that we want to use, but really the only sequence that, to my mind, ever is very effective is the one the student leads. Because no matter what information we pour on top of them, they are only going to soak up so much at once. And anything that's leveraging the student's questions, that exposes so much more about how they're already thinking, what they're going to relate it to. Then you know what pieces of information to add. And in a classroom facilitation, that's easier to do, you know, or even in a virtual presentation, you know, you can ask questions and people answer in real time. What's becoming more and more doable in an algorithmic sense is to be able to supply more kind of predictive responses, multiple options that people can pick their own path to go through to the next step. That's part of the revolution of micro-learning. Or whatever, though I'm a, a bit resentful of the buzzword, um, <laughs> as if big bite learning was the goal before. Now, right. small bites will make everything better. <laughs> That's right. But being able to, to take things to a smaller, more divisible unit, say learning objective by learning objective. Can you develop that specific thought a little bit, though, about how micro-learning puts the path decisioning into the student's hands? Yeah. So it's basically just going from a linear model to 
more of like a matrix model or more of a pick a path, you know, choose your own mm-hmm. adventure kind of a thing. When people have the ability to do that, they are more engaged because they can follow their curiosity. And working for YouTube, this was something that I found. YouTube makes suggested videos at the end of your video where they provide conditional search results when you type something in Google based on your past purchases or where you are in the world or all these kinds of things. They're they're filtering this search based on what you've done before. It's a somewhat adaptive. Exactly. So being able to make learning adaptive in the same way and provide different avenues that people can pick to move forward gives them a reason to pick something to move forward yes. so that we don't have to push as hard. At DAU, we've been licensing the Harvard Manage Mentor modules, and their whole design is to give you the different avenues. If your attention span is long, you can do the whole module plus all the videos plus other supplements, or you can take the little, you know, we might call it micro-learning today, but mm-hmm. the short clips and right. other supplemental assets that give you the quick bites and just give you maybe the salient bite at the apple to pick up some knowledge. Very interesting design approach. But with these emerging assets, whether it's podcasting or live streaming or some of the work in video, can you give us some examples or some ways you've been using it where it's offered choices and maybe different value propositions, maybe different maybe a, a cost argument, time argument, all the above. I just wonder if you can just speak to the advantages of some of these new assets that we have at our disposal. Yeah, I'll say that um, luckily here we are in the future. Like Things have gotten so much smaller and so much easier. We're, we're sitting here in a conference room with this device that's, what, maybe four inches high that produces better quality than anything that you ever listened to, like back in the 1900s or something like that. Yes. Here, that fits in the palm of your hand. It's not really expensive. It's not really difficult to create assets the way that the rest of the world is doing it these days. If um, if I want to, you know, create a, a video segment, I was just here at Learning Solutions speaking for a whole day about using a smartphone to do that, smartphone cinema. It's it's not intimidating. And we already do it, right? You know, we're we're already uploading cat videos or, you know, yes. Johnny opening his birthday present or things like that. And so to be able to leverage that technology that's already in our hands, that we already kind of know how to use for instructional uses, which we already know how to do, seems to me to be an easy win. And in my experience, it has been training other trainers to use technology that's within arm's reach to meet the needs that they already know they have is a small jump to make. It's not a big conceptual leap. There's this piece and there's this piece. Hey, what happens to great tastes and they taste great together. It's pretty easy to put that together. And the result is that more content gets made. And, you know, I, I joke, you know, like the first movie Steven Spielberg ever made, you will never see. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> like, it's probably not very good. Like the first time that you're creating, say, a, a video or maybe your very first podcast probably had some issues in it, right? The, the trick isn't that it needs to be right before I begin. It's that it needs to be right at some point after I've begun, like, That's right. you know, I have a friend on Facebook 
one of these Facebook friends. He's in Canada. I've never met him in person. But he was talking to me about podcasting, and he has aspirations to podcast. And it occurred to me to tell him, hey, why don't you just make some podcasts just for your ears only? Mm -hmm. Get yourself comfortable in the medium. You have permission to be as crappy as you need to be. Yeah. Maybe sometimes 80% of it is getting comfortable in a new medium. Yeah. And then you get to a point where, you know, your standard of what will be good enough for the rest of the world to hear, you'll, you'll hit that and do it. That doesn't always occur to a lot of people. Well, fortunately, the bar has been dramatically lowered in the yes. last dozen years or so. I mean, I joke about the YouTube cat videos, but we've all seen the shaky cam video of like the cats batting each other or Johnny opening his Christmas presents, whatever it is. The bar is so low that you can just practically trip over it. And with podcasting as well, there's so many bad podcasts out there that to just do something that's not painful is about all you need to do to begin. Mm -hmm. Just make it not hurt. Make it clear enough that people can understand what's being said so that it's not distorted or with video. Make sure that the audio on it, you can understand people's words and that you can kind of tell that it's a person that you're looking That's at right. or something like that. That's really enough to begin. It's true. To invoke uh, Seth Godin again, I saw him in a studio situation. He was being videotaped uh -huh. and he was being asked a similar question about it was in the context of how we're so used to asking permission, whether it's getting yeah. published or doing this and, yeah. and pick me, pick me. And he's saying, pick yourself. And he said a lot of the problem, he pointed around the studio. He says, it's this yeah. where something can be authentic. And that's really what matters. You might yes. be taking a slightly shaky phone camera of some expert in your field that you, you know, met in the hallway at a conference like this. And if you were to record that conversation, your audience is going to care. And they're not going to yes. care that it's not on a tripod, right? So I think authenticity is a, a big part of this. Yeah, and, and having that instantaneous kind of feedback of doing something that's live, like live streaming is, allows you to even interact with people as it's happening. At doing stuff that's podcasting where it's it's really run and gun, like we just ran in this conference room and here we are. And this can be posted even later today. Not that you need to do work that quickly, but it's definitely possible. And getting that kind of instant feedback from learners, having those avenues for them to influence what's going to get made next is, again, more reason for the learner to be involved because they're actually involved. They're, they're, it's a two-way conversation. And so there's more in it for them. And just because it's difficult to do something, make it as simple as possible. What is the simplest, easiest, cheapest way that I could try this is a great question to ask. You know, just to make the first one, what is the, I know it's going to be stupid. I know it's going to be a bad workflow. It's not going to be efficient, but I just want the cheapest, simplest, easiest way that I could start. Let's start there. Let's do that. So I recently did the same thing with publishing. You mentioned with making my first book, thinking this very question, how am I going to do this? I'm just going to make an ebook that's on one platform. I'm going to pick Amazon because that's where most of the stuff is. I'm going to write a book that's not big. Like I had a bunch of content that I'd written, but I decided I'm going to make it as small as possible so that it's not really like a book book. It's like, it's a book. It's a yeah, little book. Yeah, it's, it's a, a it's a little ebook, and it's called Just Do the Thing, and it's a lot of what we're. I have talking to look about. that up later. 
Yeah, just do the thing, a guide. And I wrote it like the Tao Te Ching or something like that, where mm -hmm. it's a lot of short passages. And I was doing that. It was a lot of work, actually, to carve it down to just the essentials. Yes. Uh, but doing that has actually given it a lot more traction because you don't have all that filler in there. And for me, as someone who's self-publishing this thing, I'm not worried about writing the 16-chapter tome that's condensing all of what I have to share with the world into this one book that's going to be my statement or yeah. that's representing me as a person. In exactly. And it, this is the wonderful thing about ebooks. It's a different kind of animal. It doesn't have a space requirement where you're sort of paying per the pound almost. Yeah. yeah. Right. So this is why diet books are famously, they, you know, half of it is recipes because they're trying to fill it up and bulk it up. Same thing with business. How many business books have you read where the first chapter or two gave you the principles and you did not need to have the repetition of this right. story after that story. Right. Uh, same thing. So wonderful opportunity with ebooks and a design ethic to be salient, to be reductive. It's a very good thing. But, but bring it to your point about people trying these new technologies. It's also a realization that not to be afraid of it. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good enough. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just do something that is a manageable, not so big in scope, something that you can actually do and get done and try. Yeah. Manageable is key. Starting with the smallest thing, it's those little successes that are going to give us the momentum to then move into something big. And we can change direction anytime when it's small, and we don't have all that weight of momentum pushing us some way. Oftentimes in learning and development, we get bound up in needing to make things consistent as a learner experience, you know, and all of the effort that it takes just to brand something and getting it through, you know, marketing and all of this. As if people forgot where they worked. Yes, it's last year's logo. No, we're not fixing it right now. We're trying to make new content that's going to make the company make more money or have less risk or whatever it is that the company is focused on, whatever it is the organization is designed to do. That's where the effort goes. And consistency is great. I'm, I'm not against it. Aesthetically, that's always what we're going for. But to stop taking action because something can't be pretty. It's just not a requirement. And with video, I'm always telling people, you know, if you if you go out to look up on YouTube how to make video or do whatever, they're going to teach you um, how to entertain or how to sell stuff. That's really easy to come by. But how to satisfy learning objectives is not something that's out there. But we know how to do that, right? Mm -hmm. So just applying a little bit of those kinds of skills that instructional design set of skills, matching that with whatever the medium is, be it pure audio as this is, or something that's leveraging video, where the learner can pause and they can go back. It's not like we need the old adages, which we definitely do need in a classroom facilitation of, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to tell you that I told you. And yeah, in a classroom, that's appropriate. But in a video, the learner controls that experience. And you can actually say completely different things visually than are happening on the audio level. That's and right. this is a benefit. This is allowing people to, say, click a link and go off to explore something that 
Maybe it's a link to that big old boring HR policy or something, but you're giving them some reason to look in there, to answer a question. What does that say? Oh, now I get it. Now that video scenario that I'm watching, actually, I okay, now that's why. Okay, got it. Excellent. Are you finding uses for these emerging kinds of media, whether it's video, podcasting, where um, maybe you've made a decision to try that instead of the traditional, or or at least are finding that to be a helpful part of the, the mix that wasn't there before? Yeah. So I'm a consultant. I come in from the outside to organizations. My first job is always to try and wipe the stupid off of the thing that's already happening. Yes. And because maybe you don't need training. You just need to get the, the bad process out, right? Yes. And so often, is it a training problem or is it just that the wrong thing is better for the user than the right thing? Because if that's the case, no amount of training is going to fix it. We just need to make the wrong thing harder for them to do or less advantageous in some way and make the easier thing the right thing and job done. We, we actually haven't created any training. We've just changed the workflow or changed the consequences of cause and effect for one individual job description or something yes. like that. So coming in from the outside, I'm at liberty to have those kinds of conversations, you know, in a gentle kind of consultant way that someone within the organization, it's harder because there's sacred cows and there's political winds and all that kind of stuff that I'm blissfully unaware of. Getting to the assets part of your question, I can come in and ask, just as any external consultant can, is this working for you and how? So that's great that you've had, you've, you've been able to generate this many courses per quarter or per year or whatever. And you've had this many registrations. That's great. And you've had this many people answer these things on the test. Awesome. So is there any alignment in those assessments though, like uh, that come at the end of the course? What if we just took that assessment and we gave it to people without the course. Do you think they'd pass it? Yeah. How could we find out? Let's take a small sample of users. Just give them the test and see how they do. If the result is the same, there's something wrong with your test and there's something wrong with your training. You actually don't need the training and you just proved it because the results were statistically not very different. So getting to better align the assessment with what it is that's being measured in the organization and better aligning the content to that. Like that's the kind of stuff that I can come in and do or that any consultant can come in and help with that. It's not really about the types of assets. It's about the type of, the type of work that's getting done, the type of result that is, that we're working to build. If I can take the test out and people test the same, mm. what if we just made a podcast in front of the test? Would that work? Cause that's like, pretty easy to make. I bet we could make a new podcast every week and we could just iterate it and see which ones help people perform the best. Let's do that. Let's record a webinar and let's put that in front of the test and see if that helps. Or, you know, a lot of times even with the video learning part, people are thinking of, well, I'm going to interview this lead salesperson and we're going to have a 30 minute session and we'll have it as a supplemental material and it'll be videos. It'll be more engaging and we'll add it to what we already have. You probably really only need like 20 seconds of a Skype call that you can record with the salesperson's bio picture there. It doesn't even need to be his face or her face. 
with a 20-second quote that's going to make the learner care, make the learner identify. That's right. That's an important word, especially when you're... These are mediums that bring stories out of people yes. and, and humanize content. Yes. And oftentimes in, in what's very mechanical, dry content, uh, you're looking for people somewhere, someone who you can identify with. Yeah. So that's really true. And I like your point about, you know, I think what was in that point, although you didn't say it explicitly, is this belief that video is inherently engaging because it's video. Yeah. So video is not a strategy. Yes. Video is a delivery medium which can help you accomplish a strategy. Any more than like social media is a strategy. It's not a strategy. It's a place to deploy a strategy, a strategy that helps with the overall strategy. You know, you can use video to help seed that. Email is not a strategy. Courses, not a strategy. They are a delivery medium that you can use. You can combine text and still images in a standard course. You could get fancy and throw some audio in there. You could get fancier and throw some video in there. But it's... It's just the means to what end? What is it that we're trying to do here? And coming back full circle, like that is the thing that, that we're all trying to do ultimately. Like a lot of us are in learning and development. We didn't really start off here. We didn't say, I want to grow up and be an instructional designer. Some of us did, but uh, like we're, for myself. A lot, a lot of us are accidental designers to, yeah. to steal from Cami Bean, right? Which I definitely am. Yeah, me and, too. But it comes from wanting to make a difference in the world, mm -hmm. wanting to make the world a better place. I would like the world to make more sense than it does. I would like to help organizations make more sense to the new people who are coming on so that they can do better work and that the organization is able to like move faster and do cooler stuff and not just get stuck in the old, you know, we're here because we want to make a difference and we want to make stuff better. So let's focus on what better actually is. And then all of those skills, like it's, it's fun, it's creative. We get to be our best selves when we're helping others have those aha moments, you know? Exactly. And again, bring it full circle because you've begun with the, the end in mind, what the outcome is, and you break the habit of jumping to a solution. We, we now have a broader repertoire and we can try yeah. some of these new things. Yeah. And isn't that a big win if we can, maybe we don't spend $150,000 on a certain type of course when maybe the job aid will do or the, yeah. or the podcast will do. Uh, and whether it's a wholesale replacement for something or a way to make it more effective, we, we have a lot more options. This has been very, very helpful to sort of talk through this with you today. Any other thoughts as we close? Well, I probably didn't say enough about testing, but that's at the core of all of it. I never assume that I know. I always assume that there's a surprise waiting when we test. What's the cheapest, simplest, easiest way to test what will happen? We don't know. We have some great theories, but the theories always came after the effect, not before. Going back to the music analogy, you know, it, the music theory, it came after the compositions. Yes. You know, the music comes first. We don't listen to music that we like because it has a good chordal structure that makes sense to our brains. We listen because we can like kind of groove with it, you know? Right. And that exists. Then people say, well, this worked in this song and that worked in that song. So, oh, this is what they have in common. 
So we make a theory, and then now that's taught as if it's true. Same thing with instructional design. People learned here, and they learned here. Here's the things that they had in common. Oh, this is now a theory, and so we teach it as if it's true. But it didn't start that way. It started with just stuff, and then taking the parts that work, and not doing the parts that don't work, not replicating mm -hmm. that, and. I think the more that we can reconnect to that and just test things along the way, the less attached we are to our own dogma and our own, you know, beliefs about what works. Well, let's just test what works. Like, I'm not threatened by that. I love surprises. Surprise me. Give me some data. Let's see what works. What a great exploration. And it's easy and cheap to try it. Yes. So why not, right? Yeah. Sam, thank you for your time today. This has been very, very helpful. My uh, pleasure. I appreciate it. Can I have you back again sometime? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just ask me and I say yes. It's a very complex process. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Before we go, though, uh, tell us where we can find your stuff online, because you do have your own podcast. Yeah. You have other resources. I'm all over the place all the time, but snapsynapse.com, that's my company, S-N-A-P. S-Y-N-A-P-S-E. That's my, my corporate presence. You can find links to the podcast that's called Doable Change there, as well as to five trainers in a car that I contribute to, uh, which talk about, you know, easy and run and gun. We literally just record five trainers yeah, squeezed in a car. Yeah, it's and, a lot of fun. I've heard <laughs> an episode and it's exactly that. They're, they are recording in a moving vehicle. Yeah, which sounds like a really bad sound idea. And it probably is. But it's engaging. So You know, it's, it's like a portable sound booth, a car. When you think about it, right? It's all upholstered. The first one was even done in the convertible. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It works fine. works fine. It's easy. Amazing. Sam, thank you again. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.